Welcome to episode number 62. It's personal. I am your host, Damon Soka. Now you're going to have to excuse my voice this week. I'm a little raspy due to an experience with COVID. In any case, here we go. Mental illness is really such a personal experience. From symptoms to treatments to coping mechanisms to diagnosis to the way it affects our personal and spiritual lives. It is difficult to explain to someone who understands and has experienced it, much less the individuals who are less informed. It's not like a broken leg where you can see the fracture and understand exactly what caused the injury, or a virus where you can't exactly tell where you got it, but you can certainly feel the physical experience, the little bugger running around in your cells. When these types of events come upon you, sometimes by your own actions and sometimes by others, while you still suffer, you have some expectation of what's going to occur. You can see the cause and effect, and you can understand the treatment, and even the pain of the treatment. It's concrete, visible, definitive. The thing about viruses, physical injuries, and the like is that most people have experienced something similar and can relate and find compassion. They generally know what to do and how to help a person. They know when a person is likely to need help and when they won't. Now, this doesn't mean that people still won't do awkward things when you have an injury or a virus. What this does mean is that the injured person doesn't generally have to worry or concern themselves about what will the other person think. Mental illness, on the other hand, is quite the opposite of the broken leg or a virus. You may never know the full reason how you came to become, how you came to be the way you are. There is no guarantee that you'll be healed, that you're going to get any better, even marginally. There's no guarantee that it will not get worse over time. There is no physical break of some kind of x-ray or virus you can test for, and your body chemistry can actually look very normal with the disease. There is no definitive test for bipolar, depression, anxiety, only somewhat vague discussions and definitions about symptoms and feelings. There's also no particular set of defined symptoms for each mental illness. Symptoms come in a range of physical, mental, and emotional definitions, such as feeling sad, lonely, a loss of pleasure or desire, nausea, headaches, foggy brain, and so forth. How do you even define how lonely or how sad someone is, or how foggy your brain is? You can't hook them up to the sad meter or the foggy brain probe. The definitions of the symptoms are often even as vague as the illness itself. The final straw in all of this is that most people have not experienced mental illness. Only about 20% of us do, and that really leaves 80% of us without a clue. Of the ones who have experienced it, a good portion will deny its existence. Another portion will refuse treatment. And then there are those who do get treatment. They are often viewed as weak in mental and physical discipline because they are seeking treatment. Most people have no real understanding of the disease. And unfortunately, Hollywood has done a wonderful job of making both the therapy and the illness appear both crazy and in some ways totally bizarre. The mentally ill person in Hollywood's eyes fits somewhere between a serial killer and the disheveled person on the side of the street talking and babbling to himself. The mentally ill are outcasts, misfits, and unstable animals or beings in a normal people world. 
Sure, there are some films that do portray mentally ill people in a better light, but they still often show them at the extremes of the illness, and most of us do not live at the extremes or fit that profile. Hollywood has defined our place in society, and unfortunately, there wasn't much, there wasn't much mercy when we were assigned. Is it frustrating? Yes. Unexpected? Not really. But it is the image that most individuals in society will see in their lives and the one most often portrayed by actors and the one with which they will identify. Now, when I have told people about my illness, they often seem to be a little bewildered as if they were looking for some kind of sign of mental illness, a tattoo on my forehead. You can see it in their eyes. But you don't look like you have a mental illness. For almost every one of us, that is going to be true. We rarely look like mentally ill people because the image that has been portrayed in society is really far from the truth. The only real people that get any attention for mental illness in our society are often actors or powerful people who are having drug abuse issues or marital problems or addictions of all sorts. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have the illness, but often what they portray is that the illness as an excuse for their misbehavior. That in and of itself creates a fiction surrounding the disease. It gives the impression that if you become addicted to drugs or have abusive behavior or marital problems, then you are going to claim mental illness to give yourself an easy out. Mental illness has become the scapegoat of the social elite and powerful that trickles down to the remainder of us, whether they really pay attention to that or not. Again, I am not saying they don't have the illness. And I actually would suspect that many of the Hollywood elites and powerful deal with some type of mental illness. But the idea that it can be a scapegoat to pardon one's terrible actions is really not helpful to anyone, especially those of us who deal with it on a daily basis. The common and often frequent association of mental illness with the indiscretions of the socially visible, elite, and powerful people makes it appear as though we are likely to do the same things. Guilty through association. Through the only lens by which many people see the illness. We can actually be judged to be like them, likely to commit either serious sins or incapable of serving effectively in the church. Now, within the church, mental illness carries with it not solely the shadow cast by the social elite. It carries with it the perceived stained garments of one who cannot place the spiritual over the physical, a person unable or incapable of placing the body under the control of the spirit. Church pioneer legacies have long upheld the traditions of their fathers about sin as a catalyst to unhappiness that the spirit can bring all of the body into and under control, that if we work harder, serve more, and forget ourselves, we will come to the place we desire. And for the most part, many of those traditions are true for most people, unless you have a serious mental illness. And then you have to say, not all unhappiness is caused by sin, that there are some parts of our chemistry that we may never fully control. We can only manage them until the resurrection, and that the work harder, serve more, is not likely going to cure our mental illness. In fact, the worked harder, serve more solution is more likely to cause us greater stress, and that leading to a worsening of the illness. Now, don't get me wrong. 
sin does cause unhappiness. We can control our bodies. And reviewing how you are serving your fellow man and your depth of commitment is a good thing. But when you have an illness such as what we possess, then you must add on the additional scripture. But do not run faster than you have strength. This means that we work and serve to the level of the illness and the level that the Lord allows. We govern our bodies as best we can and do our best to treat the illness with the best medicine possible, with, of course, the help of the Spirit. We also make sure that we are doing our best not to sin by commission or omission. Mental illness does not give us a free pass to do what we want, but rather it is a weakness given by the Lord we must work through with Him and His commandments. Now, given the image and the shadow cast upon us by social elite and pioneer traditions and legacy, the mental illness tag comes with some baggage that does not belong to us, but is going to be our cross to bear within the confines of church membership. To understand this, you have to understand how the brain works when it comes to something new. Our brain does not like foreign ideas just hanging around in their own isolated corner of the mind. The brain needs understanding and association. And so instead of taking the new idea and just building upon that new idea, the brain pulls from its experiences, both conscious and subconscious, to create an identity around this new information. Basically, filling in the blanks with things that the brain already knows. Whatever the brain thinks might be relevant actually is going to become part of the idea until proven otherwise. Unfortunately, this causes all kinds of identity problems, incorrect associations, biases, and assumptions. This is where the baggage often lives in the minds of others, and it can be very difficult to root out those assumptions because some of them will be long-held beliefs. The brain makes these assumptions, links, associations, and biases all the time, and more especially in our new situations and new information. It's just part of the human condition and part of the brain where the Lord would like us probably to do a little better. When he talks about judging righteous judgment, I think that he had this filling-in-the-blanks process in mind. We are actually all guilty of it at one time or another, and judging the book by its cover. Our mind simply fills in the blanks because it doesn't like to have blanks. It's just the way we're built. Now, I found in my travels and my many moves throughout the United States that negative stigmas surrounding mental illness are prevalent both in and out of church membership. Now, I suffered from moderate to severe bipolar until my mid-30s and still suffer mild to moderate depressive episodes due to pain. Now, obviously, since I broadcast it to the world now, you might think that I really don't care who knows. Actually, that would be far from the truth. I do care very much. I understand the risk I take in broadcasting my personal experiences with the illness to the world. But I am willing to take that risk because I believe that, the knowledge, that knowledge is a powerful antidote to ignorance and a healing balm to those who suffer. For many years, I felt lost in the church, both due to the stigma and that I could not find how a person with mental illness is supposed to live the gospel. I knew fairly early on that I was not going to be able to live it the same way as other people. My body and subsequent illness was not going to allow for it. I've talked about this in almost every one of my episodes. I was going to need to adjust the illness, adjust to the illness. But how was actually another story. 
there didn't seem to be or doesn't seem to be any existing doctrine surrounding mental illness, even vague doctrine. And I needed more than this too shall pass and it shall be for your good as answers. I wanted answers in the form of doctrine and examples of saints who had passed through what I was experiencing. I was often frustrated at the lack of information, both within and without the church. I knew that the problem was more widespread within the church membership, at least anecdotally, but I often could not find answers to my spiritual concerns with the illness. I really wanted to know how to live the gospel with the weighted chain of mental illness. I wanted to know what the Lord expected of me. How do I get answers I need from my particular circumstances given the limitations of mental illness put on my spiritual ears? Where could I go for help, advice, counsel with a specific problem with the illness that was directly related to church doctrine? I actually found very little directly related to my problems in the scriptures. I often felt as though the Lord had missed a few chapters in the Book of Mormon or sections in the Doctrine and Covenants. Even my patriarchal blessing felt like it was missing a paragraph. I tried to counsel with bishops and other leaders and my own parents, but what they provided was more related to physical and mental management of the illness, not the answers to the spiritual questions I desired. Now, I struggled for many years wondering how the Lord saw me as a person and as his child. I wondered why a loving father would even give his child such an infirmity. I even wondered for a time if it were some type of punishment brought about by my own actions. And it seemed like the more I searched, the less I understood. Not really the way it's supposed to happen in the gospel. I struggled with the idea of sin and unhappiness and their direct correlation in the scriptures and in the doctrine. I knew that I was unhappy quite often, but I also knew that sin was not part of it. I wanted answers, but really had no one to ask. The people that I knew that had similar problems didn't seem to have any better answers than I did. I really wondered why the Lord would not have at least paused one moment in all of Joseph's revelations to say, oh, by the way, for those of you who suffer with mental illness, I really felt as though a part of my life, a big part, didn't belong to church doctrine and membership. I had trouble reconciling all types of issues in the church, sin and unhappiness, happiness in general, spiritual feelings, controlling my physical and emotional body, punishment, unable to connect socially, the ideals and possessing the characteristics of faith, hope, and charity, or in my case, the lack thereof. I really wanted to know what I could do to resolve my concerns. I prayed much, sought answers, but what came arrived by Pony Express rather than Google Fiber. I, like almost every one of us who suffers, had to learn how to suffer. I know that might be a strange thought, but like almost everything in the gospel, we need to learn how to suffer. Now, I realize that most of us might think that suffering is simply the grin and bear it kind of thing, which actually isn't the truth. There is really a more holy way to learn to suffer. Now, I spoke about that in one of my more recent podcasts. What I want to express here is the sentiment that if you are feeling like you don't have the spiritual answers you need, you are not alone. I have yet to find very specific doctrinal answers other than what I have shared in these podcasts. I realize not too long ago just how many members of the church have spiritual, many of the church desire spiritual answers, and just how many are suffering. When Elder Holland spoke of mental illness in his talk not too many years back, 
It was as if a dam had broken with deep, pent-up desire to understand. His talk was wonderful, and it did open the eyes of many to the suffering of many of the saints. But in the end, it did not provide those specific answers I desired so much. Yes, it provided for hope and a knowledge that the Lord is listening and He understands and that He answers the prayers of His people. But in the end, I was right back where I started as far as details and understanding the doctrine surrounding mental illness. Now, I think in some ways I can understand why no specific instructions or doctrine have been given. Certainly, each of us approaches the illness in different ways. Treatments, our own spiritual concerns, specific questions will all differ depending on where we are in that journey. But that still doesn't answer the question why those who have walked the road already and succeeded didn't seem to leave any signpost along the way for us. The kind that says, if this is happening in your mental illness life, this is the path you need to take. I still wonder about the lack of information, especially when the illness itself robs you of the ability to feel the one being who can answer the question, the spirit. What answers I have gleaned over time I have tried to express in these podcasts, and I hope they've been helpful, but I can't say that I've answered everything. I even find myself still wondering about specific questions that I do not know if I will ever be able to answer them clearly in this life. Now, I am okay with that in my life right now. I accept that the Lord answers in His time, and for now, I believe I have enough. But I do think very often about those who are desperately searching for something or someone to give them what they need to take that next step, who are reaching out to the Lord in their illness but can't see His hand through the darkness reaching back. I do pray for them often. I think about them more often. Every time I sit down to record another podcast, I feel that weight of their suffering. And I hope that I can at least bring one moment of clarity or a glimmer of peace. Because I have been at those crossroads far too many times without answers. The kind where instead of taking one path or another, you just sit there and cry out, what do I do? The one thing that I have learned over time is that answers will come and do come, often not when we expect them, and you need to be in the right place at the right time. And, of course, listening with whatever antenna you have available. The Lord does and will answer. Of that, I do know. Now, speaking of these answers, I have often found it interesting that we are never told what, if anything, the Father answered Christ when in the garden he asked that the cup pass from him. Now, I can't imagine that the Father could have answered the question because he knew that the Savior had to bear the cross alone without help from him. Now, yes, there was an angel, but I believe that to be more physical comfort rather than answering this question. Now, I think that the Savior knew what he needed to do, and the lack of an answer was probably the answer itself. I am not sure why answers from the Lord take so much time and why these moments without clarity seem to be so very important to our lives here on earth. But I have experienced so many of them that I know that they are very important for us. Sure, I, under, I understand the idea of patience, timing, making sure that we are ready for the answer, our own spiritual preparation, and our ability to hear the answer. And maybe those are the answers to my question. But somewhere deep inside of me, something says that there exists a greater purpose to all of this waiting and searching that maybe, 
just maybe it's a very important part of celestial life. Now I realize that to change the stigma and to work through those answers to tough questions, you're going to need to be able to confide in someone or others. Now I have a list of questions you should probably consider, but in the end, it's going to be a very personal decision. If you have a tendency not to tell anyone, you are not alone. Except for this podcast, I generally fall into that category. I tend to wait and specifically choose those who I tell. I don't like people treating me differently because I have a mental illness. I don't think anybody with a mental illness really does. I'm also more reserved, as I believe most people I know who suffer with mental illness. And I suppose that this contributes to my tendencies. Now, in the end, you'll simply have to go with what suits you personally and how it might affect the relationships with those with whom you confide. Here are the questions for you. These are the considerations you will need to really truly think about. First question, what is the level of understanding of the person that you're going to talk to? Do they have any understanding of the illness? If not from some experience, then perhaps from the internet or other ways. Would they be able to understand the illnesses? Or do they have biases and stigmas already associated with the illness that might be difficult to dislodge? And then how much are you going to have to explain? Now, you may have to ask some questions to see what they understand and what biases you might need to help them change. Question number two, what is your purpose of telling this individual? Why are you telling this person? Can they help you? Are you trying to teach them? Often, that true purpose is going to answer your question about whether to tell them without any further need to evaluate. What are you expecting when you tell them? How do you see the conversation developing and what do you expect as a result? Will they be helpful to you? Is this going to help you or someone else or even the public perception in general? Question three, what might be the consequences of them knowing? Understand that when we tell people, it's going to create blessings and consequences, such as changes in relationships, changes in behaviors, and changes in people you might not always like or appreciate. Again, you'll have to go back to the idea about how a brain works and how it fills in the blanks. When you tell this individual, who else might come to know of your illness? Understand that telling one person might be telling several or many. Make sure you understand in some way who might know through the person you are telling and if you, at this point in time, want those people to know. Question number five. Can you teach the person about your illness? Are they teachable? And would they understand sufficiently to be able to see you as you really are and not just now see the illness? So the question here is really, is this person teachable enough? And would it be valuable for them to learn about the illness in some way? And the final question, number six, probably the most important question, are you considering the Lord in your question and what he might say? This is probably one of the more important factors you should really consider. It is, I would at least ask the Lord before moving forward. He may or may not answer, but it is definitely worth the asking. Now, in the end, it's going to be your decision, and you're going to have to live with those blessings or consequences. As for me, I've had many differing experiences, and actually most of them have been positive, but I can't say that all of them have been. What is important to understand is that there are many others out there who are just like you, 
And sometimes those whisperings of the Spirit that you should talk to someone about it might just make the difference for them in their lives or for someone else. Well, that is it for this week. By the way, if you're enjoying these podcasts and think that you might know someone who might enjoy them as well, recommend it to them. As for this week, may the Lord be with you and may you fight to do your part and then allow the Lord to do his. Talk to you next week.